all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Hello and welcome to Cars and Comrades, where we talk about car stuff from a leftist perspective. Uh, this is part two of our discussion with automotive journalist James Gilboy, so buckle up and join us along the road to revolution. And remember to search for us on uh, all your favorite social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Uh, just search for Cars and Comrades and you should be able to find us, hopefully. You can also email us at carsandcomrades at gmail.com. We're happy to hear from listeners, if we have any. Uh, so email us suggestions, complaints, potential topics, or perhaps your own questions that we might address on the air. We don't really know what we're doing yet because we just started this, so we make no promises about answering. But you can shoot us a message and we'll do our best. Could you really ask for anything more than that? Anyway... Let's get back into our discussion with James about lemons racing, MR2s, and automotive journalism. All right. Hey, so we, we had a little break there and some recording trouble also. I think we got it all figured out, but I think Zach wasn't coming through. We couldn't hear him, so I don't know uh, if on the final product it sounds like we're talking over him. Uh, it's it's not that. It's just we suck with technology. So... Um, <laughs> I might not have been yeah. able to hear him, but I was talking over him in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to try and wrap things up. But uh, Connor, you you wanted to talk about, uh, I don't know, I guess the freelance industry. Is that right? Well, just, you know, I know that James is doing some, uh, you know, car related freelance journalism. So I, I kind of wanted to ask what was entailed, you know, what that entails and what that industry is like and what, you know. I can't imagine working in any kind of job where, you know, I don't necessarily know what my paycheck's going to look like. I'm pretty used to, like, my check looks the same all the time, and I don't have to, like, submit a project. And if someone doesn't like it, well, I'm not paying my rent that month or, or whatever it is. I don't know if it's good or bad or, you know, I don't know. Maybe we have, if we have listeners at this point or someone's going way back, um, Maybe there's someone who's like interested in pursuing that. Um, so I don't know what what's what's kind of your experience been with it uh, in general, James. I'm I'm sure you know what to what to say more so than I know what to ask. I guess is what I'm okay. saying. Um, so my experience of working freelance is I have in total written for three outlets basically. Um, uh, the drive, which is where I've done almost everything. I'm um, uh, my my relationship with them is is uh, sort of halfway between a freelance and a staff thing right now. I don't know officially what to call it, but um, they are bringing me into the fold more. Uh, but I can okay. speak for my three and a half years of definite three uh, freelancing. I got my start basically just by being paid by a Corvette blog to do a couple news posts, which were terrible but they paid me uh paid me a decent amount and then everything else has been for the drive and then a local blogger so the thing is with the online media industry in general is working online media is a pretty desirable job which is why you see so many people want to do it uh it has a lot of potential perks uh, such as, you know, work from home, set your own hours, uh, possibly pursue whatever opportunities come your way. Um, but because the online media, uh, the line of work, uh, you know, content creation in general is kind of so desired, it's extremely competitive. Um, sure. it, it's true in the automotive media industry. Um, I don't know if I would say there is a, uh, to speak broadly in economic terms, that are not necessarily, uh, there is 
a there are a lot more people who are willing to tell you about cars than maybe there is uh, appetite for people to listen to it. Um, <laughs> that's what. Yeah, don't, don't 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 tell us that. We're just starting this podcast. Don't, don't tell us that. No, no. no, what I'm trying to say is like you know a lot of people want to work in this biz, but you know audiences can only absorb yay so much. Um, so you, it's really hard to get into people's faces, and uh, it can be hard to say go professional. But um, I happened to get very lucky in getting a you know a good gig at the drive that actually gradually got better for me um i know a lot of people who do a lot of freelancing for a bunch of different outfits uh sorry outlets and make a living doing it that way it can be done you gotta build a lot of relationships to do that um it's still generally not what most people prefer to be doing. Some people can play it well and uh, and make a good living out of it. Some people are obviously very concerned about being able to afford healthcare and the like. Yeah, sure. Um, and then also there's another type. Um, so because this is kind of a cottage uh, niche, um, this is a cottage industry, you know, automotive media, a lot of people want to do it. So... Um, it's a lot of the lower to mid-level stuff doesn't pay that great obviously um i now i would actually say given my qualifications and my work experience i have been paid pretty damn well throughout most of mine i leapt from working at subway where i was being paid less than ten dollars an hour to being paid 25 dollars a pop for an article that was a huge and terrific leap for me and it's things have only gotten better from there that's not how i'm paid today um i don't know if i have anything in my current contract about discussing what i'm paid but it is way better yeah please do we we encourage uh discussing what we're what we're paid here we're we are workers of the world trying to unite here um, and discussing oh. wages is always good for workers. So I'm, I'm okay. if you're comfortable with it, I don't think it. we've actually ever discussed wages with each other. <laughs> we Which should do very that. funny. Um, I mean, we're okay. not getting paid anything for this. Uh, we're not making any money from the podcast, at least not yet. I don't know if we will ever, but <laughs> so there's that. If, if I ever make money from the podcast, I promise to spend it on car parts. All right, so. Basically, the way a lot, or at least the way freelance writing works, because it doesn't just apply to the automotive industry, the automotive media industry is, I mean, there are a bunch of pay models. Some of it is flat rate per post. Some of it is kind of uh, per word. Some of it is, some of it is basically they'll pay you or not pay you whatever they please. Um, I for i have pretty much always okay no not always for much of my time writing it was being paid by the post and there was sort of an approximate length advisory um and i did start out at 25 dollars, which i later gathered was kind of not like awesome for the industry but when you come from working a sandwich shop where you're being paid less than ten dollars an hour like i was and all of a sudden, you're being paid to do something interesting at a far higher rate than you are yep. earning. You sort of don't take that for granted. And I have since gotten significantly higher. Uh, I've since been given significantly better pay. I, I'm now on a sort of flat rate scheme uh, where there, it's. I'm going to say it's a semi-salary-like thing, but also like they're really caring for uh, how much workload I'm doing these days. They don't want me to burn myself out. Um, I am. So if you don't mind, if yeah, out of curiosity, so like back when you were kind of starting out, um, which mm-hmm. I know th- that what you talked about where it's like, you go from like the minimum wage job, which we've, you know, all done, you go from this and then you're doing something that's more interesting and you get a lot more, you realize later you're like, they underpaid me like crazy. But um, I, that that's a funny thing not to interrupt you or talk over you but um it's a really funny thing because the drive actually as a site so as an ip it was always kind of a big name but when i signed on 
um, they were actually very. They were not nearly as big. At least the the site as it was then was not as big as it is now. Not nearly. Yeah. Um, I think there were actually a fair number of posts that I was writing where they may have. Now I'm speculating here because I don't know what the back end looked like then. Speculate away. Um, <laughs> is that I actually a fair number of the posts I wrote then probably did not actually make the money. Um, they there was a period where there was just trying to actually get consistent people to put out content. And uh, basically the, the opportunity to do this fell into my lap at a time where I was kind of going, I am not looking forward to getting into a job search. And literally the editor in chief at that time, Mike guy, <laughs> I got this because he put something up on Reddit. Like, Hey, do you want to write for the drive in, uh, <laughs> the, in the cars Reddit? And <laughs> I, I had a couple paid blog posts under my wing. I had like a few unpaid ones I put up on my own WordPress just as kind of a, a portfolio-like thing. I threw that at him. I got the chance. I grabbed it with both hands. Uh, you know, I seized the opportunity. It was... Sure, yeah. It, I, I really would say it sort of fell into my lap and I knew that I had something good going for me, so I... I really squeezed it for all it was worth, and it has done a lot of good for me. Um, well, that's, yeah, definitely good. Yeah, I I would say that. Yeah, I was actually. It is really hard to contextualize, you know, what somebody. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm thinking out loud here a bit, but. Given, given my experience level and the work I was doing at the time, I think actually I was being still paid pretty damn well, especially considering what uh, I was... If you wanted to turn what I was making in my early freelance days into hourly wages, I was making over 15 an hour. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, so, something. Yeah, so it, it's like there are a lot of people who have a lot more experience in the industry who look or would look at those wages and go, Oh, that's, that's not great. But at the same time, there is, that was terrific given my experience level. Um, that was terrific given my prior income. Uh, so that, yeah, I, mean, I mean, that sounds, I, that sounds terrific. I mean, the, from your perspective, terrific enough, uh, you know, yeah, I, it, it was good. And then it kept getting better kind of it it grew with me as uh, as a professional so which is, the, which is not uh, always the case for for no, many many jobs so that's yeah, i'd I, say I, it's i feel you there i'd say it's the exception rather than the rule really um yeah i would say i've been very lucky i i do happen to know that there's still a fair amount of exploitation of freelance uh content creators uh in fact, frankly, just... I'm really surprised to hear your feedback because uh, not that I know a ton of freelance journalists, but like reading things here and there, it, it does kind of sound like it can be kind of rough in between gigs. Be. And It can be. I, I'm very fortunate, actually, that there has basically been a constant demand for as much as I can put out, basically, uh, which meant I, I was basically because I'm living at home still. Um, my income uh, requirements were generally not crazy. I mean, I'm paying rent, but uh, I, I keep having this thing cross my mind that I want to bring up, but I keep forgetting what it is. There's, um, oh, uh, actually two of them. One, just a few days ago, uh, you'd probably be glad to hear that in general, how people are paid in this industry does actually matter to uh to most people there's a sort of industry professionals facebook group where there was some website being torched for their terrible uh pay rates people who'd written Good. for them were saying well if you negotiate they they will give you better fuck that, uh, fuck yeah. that defense that's <laughs> bullshit yeah we're gonna pay you as little as we can get away with unless you call us out 
Yeah. I think, wait, I think I mean, um, didn't Marx write a book about that or something? <laughs> <laughs> was it Marx? <laughs> Sorry. So there was yeah. In general, I think people actually do believe in in this industry that people should be paid for their time and their effort. Um, sites that try to scrape along on underpaying people don't really seem to retain writers or anything like that. Huh, so it, um, seems, it seems that communication between the workers is having a really positive effect. <laughs> That's an interesting... I, I just It's one of those, you know, a lot of industries, they don't do this and more people don't think of it, but you're like, wow, so you're just shaming the companies that pay you like shit. And then now the industry pays better. There's, there's an interesting correlation there. I think somebody should look into that. There's, <laughs> there's also the thing that um, there is... I, I can at least speak for the drive personally. I get the impression that there's a strong culture that even though it was bought out by a private equity firm uh, last year, I believe it was, I feel like there's been a real strong conversation between editorial and uh, the people on the back end about how they actually do want to build something where they are treating their writers in a way that they can sustain a healthy lifestyle. And I mean, I, I, I feel like generally I have had uh, editorial on my side, even when I wasn't, you know, as closely associated as I am now, which is like, I'm really kind of amazed that I can say that given the God, God given the gig economy environment. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's there's definitely uh, that's definitely good. I, I don't really, wanna... It sounds like you're saying we should all get into automotive journalism. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> no, so can I just no, start actually, writing, I... art, <laughs> writing articles and sending them off? Or <laughs> okay, so if you if you really wanted, so my advice for people who want to get into um, automotive media, my first advice is don't because the. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> on a professional level, I say that's it's highly risky because there's a fair chance that we're past peak car. I think the industry is going to shrink, and when the industry shrinks, so is the associated media industry. Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of publications are gutting their staff and going increasingly with uh, freelancers. So... It's 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 a hard industry to get into in you know in times of growth even in this in, in this uncertain future it's even more difficult. Um, like when that any sounds sort of... like uh, sorry to <laughs> cut you off there. I, that sounds kind of like just the the journalistic uh, environment in general. The, the like the newspaper industry has been shrinking mm -hmm. for years and yeah, it, going um, freelance. Uh, there was a content creator who I used to follow. Um, I won't identify them because I'm not necessarily sure that I want to follow them because I don't know. I got the impression that they have been doing an awful job of managing their reputation and I don't want to be associated with them. But they said something to the effect of um, online media, like when the crunch comes, um, the first thing to go is the good stuff, ironically, because... It's you can shovel Canadian out terrible. Um, you can shovel out, yeah, terrible content all day long, low effort stuff that, if you package it right, people will click. Um, and the people who are really, 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 really good at something will always have, you know, some demand for their stuff. But people who are pretty good and kind of in the middle, uh, they kind of struggle. So you have to decide where you want to end up in that industry. Do you? Are you? comfortable making stuff that can kind of take advantage of people's curiosity or do you want to make really good stuff and uh i mean i hate having my time wasted online by stuff that i'll click and it feels uninformative or or you know yeah. and the like so i made that decision and it's it's not easy to give your best all the time and you do sometimes feel like you fall short even when you give your best and Sometimes you just do. Sometimes you make mistakes. But I feel like the important thing is not even just for the automotive media environment, but anything that you really 
want, like if there's some if there's some career you really want, you gotta really decide how badly do you want it. It's well, like, I mean, it and, sounds like I mean what you're getting at is how you want to approach that job, you know, mm-hmm. and what what you want to get out of it because like. You know, mm-hmm. me, I used to be like, yeah, I'll give it my all. I want to be proud of my work. I want to be involved. And now that I realize, like, what work is and how it actually functions in the economy, I'm like, I want money to fucking live and money to be happy. Give it to me now, you fucking asshole. And I'm going to, like, <laughs> do enough to make you want to give me more money. But, like, n- I don't feel fulfilled by this work because I'm totally just completely alienated from everything i'm doing i'm like i am doing this for a paycheck now which is got it's you know there's a downside to that but um so kind of how you approach where whether you're putting out clickbait garbage to get that paycheck or you're really trying to add something profound to what you're writing about is kind of where i thought you were going with it if that makes sense that that's one of the points i wanted to touch on um another thing is that um, like all just, you know, I guess uh, I'll say like all super desirable careers, it is super highly competitive and you got to know what you're getting into because there are other people who would really like my job and I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I have gotten to it by some Ayn Randian superhero. <laughs> yeah. Cause, no, cause, cause I'm a human being and I know what weird opportunities I had to get to land here. And, then I did my best once, once I got this shot. But um, sure, I mean yeah, that's that's the way of the world. That is the way of the world that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. But that's that is how it has always worked, and probably will always work until hopefully we uh, do something about that. Yeah, um, it. I mean, ultimately, there is a degree of wanting to do something about that. Um, you know, working in sort of an in this sort of enthusiast media industry is what it can largely be, but also there's some serious journalism to be done, especially if you don't want to be another one of those. um, There's an industry term called a shrimp eater. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but a a shrimp eater is basically somebody who is in the media industry, the automotive media industry for the uh, industry shindigs, somebody who goes to the junkets, um, eats the shrimp cocktail, <laughs> hence the, the shrimp eater nickname, and kind of does like whatever work to just kind of get as much as they can out of this kind of, at times, spoil ya industry. But, um, huh. so that is a facet. I mean, car companies will fly people places and put them up in hotels, pay for their meals, and give them new cars to drive. By give them, I mean loan them. But yeah. um, I decided quite some time ago that like there is l- <laughs> there are literally hundreds of those people out there. Nobody needs me to be another one of those. So I, you know, the perspective I take to this is there is probably you do actually have to take, I think, some fresh perspective to uh, a job like this to really uh make a marker excel do whatever however you want to put it to stand out you really have to try to bring something extra and i think there is a lot that people are ignoring about the future of the automotive industry and transportation oh, yeah. in the united states oh, in yeah. general yep <laughs> yeah um I'm putting big blocks in everything. I am actively ignoring <laughs> the state of, of, of the world around me. I, I'm going on a long tangent here just because I can be pretty long-winded at times. But um, You're allowed. Thank you. Uh, the short version of it is, well, I don't think I can give the short version of it because I'm still... I'm still planning to get around to doing like some real research and figuring out whether what I sort of believe is actually backed by uh, science. And hopefully later this year, I'll really be putting out the stuff that matters to me, which is going to try to be influencing how people think about the future of cars and their role in the United States. And I, th- I think it is important to have big aspirations like that if you do want to do automotive media. 
because otherwise, yeah, that I mean, makes sense. Who needs who needs another random white guy saying, "Hey, this car is cool and fast." Welcome to my YouTube channel, um, whoa, John's whoa, Garage. Whoa, whoa. Hold on now. Hold on now. <laughs> I am going to be on this podcast a lot saying this car is cool and fast and new. And I'm going to be saying a lot of that. Don't don't blow up my spot here. Oh, oh no. <laughs> but you get I don't call I'm myself a jur- I don't call myself a fucking journalist, though. No. <laughs> I call myself a white guy who likes a fast car now and then. I'm going to cut automotive journalism off at the pass and just preemptively start writing articles about like how to keep your car on the road now that industry has collapsed. <laughs> you know, that'll be a really interesting. There's a lot to to happen with 3D printing there. I I don't know a ton about additive manufacturing. Um, not from a practical standpoint. I know how laser sintering works, but um, it's not, like if you want high strength, uh, 3D printing is not there yet, and likely yeah. does not have that capacity because of of the way. Uh, the like on on the microscopic level, the way the metal behaves when when it's uh, like laser welded, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not prone to making a super strong material. Who knows what breakthroughs will come along? But like, I have heard it said that the it's just not in the cards for that. You know, but I, I say that as a machinist who just you know wants to be machining. Yeah, it's definitely not uh, for like aircraft aircraft grade stuff. I mean, I think NASA or, or whatever aerospace companies have been doing something with like uh, laser printed uh, metal um, rocket part, rocket motor parts. But like, and I and I think uh, Koenigsegg did three um, D printed um, turbine housings for some of their cars. But um, mm-hmm. as far as like um, um, Brandon, what you were saying about like maintaining older vehicles, I know that. Um, on the first gen MR2s, the uh, C pillar trim, the plastic uh, trim on those uh, tends to break because they're 30 years old or whatever. Um, and there are people 3D printing replacement parts for that. So uh, that's kind of, hmm. you know, an application. If it's just something cosmetic uh, or, you know, not very, doesn't require a lot of structural strength, uh, that, yeah, it, it can be used for that for sure. I've been told you can use a manila envelope for a gasket in a pinch. Yeah. I you think know, I've done that. In the context of like a friend of mine was traveling somewhere in Central America and he is a mechanic and he was like, yeah, they would just cut it out like gasket paper. You yeah. Know, to, well, yeah. Yeah. I've done that for gaskets Mopeds. made out of paper. Yeah. It's like paper composites or something like that. So what would that, they like uh, fold it over a bunch of times and then cut it out? No, uh, I remember him telling me this story forever ago before I was like super deep into cars. So I'm not really sure. I, I think it's fine for I like an intake gasket, something that's not that doesn't get super hot and doesn't see a lot of pressure. But you still want to have a good seal on it, like to vacuum or whatever. Yeah. Like I've used it on mopeds. I've used cardboard or paper gaskets uh, to like put the case halves together, like the crankcase halves. Um, yeah, all right. And um, who needs gaskets when you've got RTV? Yeah, well, yeah, true. <laughs> That's a good point. To uh, to step back a little bit in the conversation, uh, I don't know if anyone has heard of uh, Inconel powder. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know much about that, but that seems to be somewhat promising as far as three D printed materials go. I'm not sure of the the long term durability or or what kind of pressures it could handle. Or you, you said Inconel powder. Inconel powder, yes. Okay, so it's like I work with a lot of Inconel, so I know yeah. a little bit about that, but I don't, I've never heard anything about the powder. Yeah, I come across Inconel parts in various uh, uh, industrial light control valves and stuff, so I, I've, I've got some familiarity with that, but never the powder. That seems interesting, because Inconel is a pretty interesting alloy. Like, you can do yeah, a lot. I, I work it. with a lot of Inconel and Monel, which is the copper equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Papadakis Racing, uh, I'm sure you've heard the name before if you're into drag racing. Uh, they have uh, a video on YouTube uh, making a turbo manifold out of Inconel powder and uh, 3D printing it. Yeah, I think that floated across my radar. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uploaded about a month ago, so probably not a lot of torture testing for that yet, but I'd be interested to see how that 
shakes out in the future. I'm interested in that. Yeah, because turbo manifolds are just very expensive and they're a pain in the ass. Um, So specifically the thing that I've heard is a problem with laser printing any sort of metallic thing is it's basically a welding process. And if you've done any welding, you know the way that the, the material will like kind of glob together. Like not if you're welding well, but there's always going to be a certain element where like the material behaves in a slightly uncontrollable way. And when you are 3D printing, all you're doing is is welding on a much, 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 much smaller scale. So you still have um, inconsistencies where you, it, it'll like blob up, but on like a like a mo- I don't want to say molecular or microscopic scale, but it might be that small. I'm not really sure. I've actually watched videos with under like a microscope where they were laser welding and it demonstrated exactly what was going on. Now, I don't know how much that weakens it, but like you're never, you're probably never going to like 3d print a crank, you know, or like a connecting rod. Yeah. I assume the thing, the high, high stress parts are not going to be really viable for that. Just like you said, there's so many stress points. And something that's basically been welded together millimeter by millimeter, essentially. Yeah. There was someone uh, on, uh, I think it was in Europe somewhere, claiming that they 3D printed connecting rods with carbon fiber uh, inserts in them or something, but made of plastic or resin or something. Like Uh, CFRP, really? I don't know, but like there wasn't a whole lot of proof that they actually did this and made it function. Uh, So who knows? Um, but, uh, as far as Inconel, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but, um, there's a moped forum called moped army. And, uh, I remember a while ago on there, there was a guy that, uh, welds with Inconel kind of like Brandon. Um, and he saved up all the little scrap pieces of, uh, Inconel sheet metal that he had, uh, at, at his job and, um, made a expansion pipe for his uh, 50cc moped out of Inconel. Um, so it probably would have cost like $3,000, like if it was uh, something that was on sale. But he's like, yeah, I just made this out of scrap. And, you know, because I could. And it's it also like, mysteriously weighs 40 pounds. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I mean, Inconel, isn't it pretty lightweight for? No, it's heavy as fuck. OK, yeah, I don't it's, know. It's I mean, basically all nickel. OK. I thought he was saying that it was like super thin stuff so that it was real, uh, real lightweight. Um, and, you know, it was it still able to hold up to the higher temperatures of an exhaust. But I don't know. Yeah. The, well, the, the, the pros of Inconel for anybody who's really into metallurgy here. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, super corrosion resistant under almost any circumstances. Like and, and I will mix it up a little bit with Monel because they have very similar properties. But yeah, like it, it, it's it's just really reliable under in the worst conditions that you can operate it in. Like it's it's popular for use in like nuclear power plants and submarines where it's going to be like constantly exposed to salt water and like high temperatures and so on and so forth. And it's just like, yeah, fine. I'm, I'm cool with this. But it's 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 dumb heavy. Yeah. Oh, and radiation that that'll make a lot of things brittle, a lot of steel and stuff. I, I only know specifically about its resistance to, to any problems as a result of like salt water, high pressure, temperature, stuff like that. That yeah. That's why Inconel is, is popular for exhaust valves. That makes sense. It's, it's also used in aerospace some, isn't it? Um, yeah, would, like for, I want to say like, uh, like inside of turbine engines and stuff. I don't know that to be true, but I would not be surprised. It's, it's a pretty spectacular metal. I thought it's it was not also lightweight. pretty tough to uh, to machine as well, but dude, I I, I use I, so much stainless Inconel and Monel machining it, like it just all feels the same to me. At this point, I'm just shocked when somebody hands me a piece of mild steel, and I'm like, "This is weirdly <laughs> easy." <laughs> uh, I've I've done very little welding of it, though, man. It's it's weird to weld. You have to like back purge it and everything. It's it's not straightforward. Yeah. Sorry if I de- derailed the conversation into Inconel metallurgy. No I, I'm sorry if I continued on that path. <laughs> well, too, you know, too, too bad. The listeners are going to have to learn a little metallurgy. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, poor them. <laughs> um, 
I don't know, back to like the kind of freelance uh, journalism stuff. Um, we we did touch on it a while back, but then we kind of meandered away. Um, but I was curious, like in this kind of industry, what were you um, kind of when you started out and kind of like now, how many articles are you writing like a day or a month or what? Is it like you write two articles a month and you're good, but like they're really well researched? Or is it you're doing four articles a day that require a moderate amount of work or, you know, and what was it when you were like starting out, especially when you said you were doing like $25 an article or whatever versus like kind of where you're at now? Is it less? Is it more? Um, Just curious. Also, are you one of the people that's been writing articles on 3D renderings of cars? Because if so, I'm going to need your address for a for a bomb I'm going to send you. Okay, uh, real <laughs> funny thing. Uh, don't, don't threaten the, don't threaten the guests. Here's the okay. admission. I, I will okay. threaten anyone who persistently writes those articles. Um, well, well, then you may want to write uh, a sternly worded letter uh, to a. Oh, dare I? Damn it, if you really did this, now I'm going to get called out for my threats being empty. Uh, okay, so number one, I have I have actually done a few, and by a, <laughs> by a few, I mean actually a fairly small number, because um, let's just say I'm not doing render articles anymore. Um, and we regularly make fun of a certain website that I think I will not name, who puts them out very, very regularly. I'd rather stay on the safe side there. Um, yeah, who, who, uh, we're we're guessing that this podcast is going to have about six listeners, but even it could have five of them are on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. It could wind up having enough that you uh, have a problem. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm um, also kidding. Those... I'm not going to listen to this. We're podcast. not lawyers, by the way. So oh, you know. I, I know, yeah. but at the same Fuck time, off. we don't know what we're doing. At the same time, like um, this is a very small industry in general, and there's like kind of in assuming that you know I get vaccinated and that I can again travel, like you know, travel for work. It is inevitable that I will run into somebody who works for them, and I don't want to be the guy who's on record making fun <laughs> of a rival publication for something that. Uh, that you know not all readers like i was um, joking i definitely know who you're talking about <laughs> i i have a feeling you do too um i i think you know <laughs> but um to get back to the uh, the volume question which is what you're asking so starting out like because there was literally the appetite for as much as i could put out um and quality varied i did genuinely try but i didn't you know, not all stories were interesting, and there were some times where I was still very obviously learning about the subject matter. I'll put it that way. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, initially, like, they basically, they had a target. They are like, oh, well, if it's like, well, we're hoping for yay many posts from you per week. Um, and I, I was like, <laughs> I, I was very easily hitting that target. Um, for there was a period where I was regularly doing, I would say, between 20 and 30 uh, per week. And that that's like leaving wow. myself two days off. Yeah. But that was also during like, um, that was during the period where there was a lot of publishing, almost anything going on, because that was a part of the drive's history. There was a period where it was functionally an aggregator site, but... Um, management didn't want it to be just that so you know the editors they really stepped things up and in time like they basically organized with me where they up to my rate per article and they were like okay um we don't expect as many posts from you um at this new pay scale uh, but of course we're going to expect you know that much extra effort and uh it's at the point right now where they're basically just, it is sort of like this informal agreement. I mean, there is a degree of formality, but the editors have um, the freedom to basically decide whether or not I'm living up to their performance. And so far I have had no complaints whatsoever in um, the multiple months on my sort of current 
pay grade, um, it's. I don't know how much of it I can discuss. But it is actually, you know, the best arrangement I've had so far. Um, I would say actually my current output is probably the lowest it's ever been over time. But at the same time, I have put out enough things that have trafficked so well and reflected well enough on the site that, you know, it's. I don't feel my workload is outrageous, but at the same time, I feel like well, I, I know because they've told me that they're very glad with what's going on. So, um, yeah, so it's just yeah. it is higher quality mm-hmm. um, writing, probably a little more research involved and, you know, definitely source checking. OK, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's really what I'm curious about, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, uh, a higher degree of journalism and then, you know, better writing. Uh, and I, I try to keep both of them kind of as. I try to keep as high of standards as I can for my own work because I really actually hate putting out stuff that I wouldn't myself read. And I mean, you guys work in creative fields. Like I know you would hate if you sent off machining that you felt was really not good for the most part. I mean, I don't know about that. Brandon, (laughs) how would you feel? (laughs) What's what's going on? (laughs) My guess is, you know, as somebody who does actually make stuff, you know, in the machining field, you might actually feel kind of bad if you were sending off stuff that was utter schlock. If it, you know, you would think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really depends on how much of a dick my boss has been that day. I hear no, you. No, no, I, I routinely but... hold like insane tolerances and I'm pretty proud of it. Like, yeah. I, I, I can machine something on a lathe and keep it to within one ten thousandth of an inch. It, it's like good work to some degree is its own reward. Um, there were a few times uh, where now I'm I'm actually going to take the side of, of, of the editors on this one. There were a few times where I unsolicited turned in monstrous articles i'm talking like five thousand words basically without asking them if they wanted it and they paid me considerably uh less than my normal rate but that's because it was also sort of stuff that there were no arrangements for um and by less than my normal rate i'm talking about like if you want to extrapolate that to dollars per word but pretty much all of those were scenarios where like I really was doing passion projects and frankly, like the chance to do a passion project that was paid at that point in my career was something I appreciated. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So, I mean, I, I don't want to defend a model uh, in media industries of people being underpaid for overwork, but like, I mean, I'm trying to take a holistic view of, my skill and experience level throughout this throughout this job which i've been doing for a good four years now and i think my compensation has generally i and i'd say i'm extremely fortunate in this my compensation has generally scaled with the quality of work i've been doing most of the way through it so that's not probably as exciting uh or dramatic as you could hear from some people i i do know that there are sites that do underpay people and they have trouble keeping uh consistent content coming in yeah no that makes that that makes a lot of sense again you would you would kind of expect that where it's you know and they're probably wondering oh gee why do we have a problem getting people to work for us and it's like well uh, I have some some thoughts, you fucking clowns. At the opposite end, um, uh, there is a good, respectable legacy publication that I won't name um, who tried to keep as many people on as staff as they could. Um, and they, uh, they basically ended up gutting their entire, uh, their entire staff because they weren't bringing in enough money to keep, you know, yeah, to pay to keep for the doors open. Yeah. To yeah, pay sense. for the people. So it's, if I'm going to really boil it down to a simple problem, it's that if 
people want free online media and if they want stuff free they kind of have to expect there to be uh if you're not paying there's a cost (laughs) there is a cost there is a cost um and the way i put it with anything that's online if you are not the if you're not paying you are to a degree the product it's true of social media and well if you're reading free news or free content of any kind you're being advertised to you are an audience being sold to advertisers oh yeah Um, yeah that's i i would think pretty much anyone listening to our podcast actually unless i don't know who's listening so i have no idea what that looks like but Anyone who is a leftist should be at least mildly familiar with that concept, uh, which has been spoken about, you know, by like Noam Chomsky and like manufacturing consent or mm-hmm. um, I, I think I haven't read it, but uh, I would imagine Michael Parenti's Inventing Reality is uh, p- talks about the similar thing where it's like, again, if you're not paying, guess what? You are the product. Mm-hmm. I, you are, I... That is a big that's pretty much how all media works now. It, it's almost you can't. You almost can't pay for media. We we no longer expect. We now expect free media in a way that we n- didn't necessarily in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now more and more so, you know, we are the commodities that are being um, bought and sold here. We're we're cattle being, you know, kind of um, guided into oh, come to our media site to to look at stuff. We'll tell you what you want to hear. Of course, because we want you to see our advertisers. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's so. I would think a lot of people are pretty familiar with that concept, but uh, like I said, I, I don't know what our listeners look like yet. So who knows? Maybe they're not. Maybe they'll learn something. Uh, and to build on something you said, I think it is something worth understanding, uh, regardless of political affiliation, that um, the online, any sort of free media like that. Uh, only exists because advertisers are paying the people who are putting out the stuff you go there for. Um, and, you know, there's a degree of that being true for professional sports as well. You know, the ads there, you go to Coors oh, yeah. Field, guess who's paying for that Coors name to be there? <laughs> um, uh, the reason why I bring that up is because uh, my own mechanic, uh, he was kind of like bothered it crap he was reading and i basically had to tell him hey if you don't like reading really terrible stuff don't click on stuff that looks like it'll be terrible because when you read stuff (laughs) you are readership and your readership is money to the people that you are you know yeah you're you are giving them by giving them your eyes by clicking on that article just to see it you're giving them their money. Yes. And they're uh, going to keep yes. on putting just, out crap because of because you keep clicking on it. Mm-hmm. That is unfortunately the nature of kind of, you know, of low quality content farms. Um, and those do exist in the automotive media sphere. I don't need to tell you. Um, I won't yep. point any fingers, but there are a couple pretty egregious ones on YouTube. There are... I would say it's less of a thing with uh, with written media these days because it's not, you know, it's not new media. I would say the problems with written digital, uh, with automotive writing in the digital sphere is that not necessarily all the writing or the journalism is great. Although you will, in general, find people make an earnest attempt to make stuff good, even if okay, I could see that. I mean, I say that based on reading sites that don't have as high of journalistic standards. They, you do see people who are clearly trying, and sometimes you do read some pretty dang good stuff on the on the offbeat sort of you know C grade sites, but. Uh, well, but, you know, I have a sort of hypothetical question. Um, you know, let's say, James, if uh, let's say in the future there's a communist revolution, uh, you know, capitalism is abolished. Um, presumably internal combustion engines probably aren't being manufactured anymore. Uh, do you think you would still be writing about cars or something else or uh, or be doing some other job? I I think there's actually um, 
when I say there are some less than hypotheticals to be answered about that, um, I think I have actually considered like, okay, what do I do? Well, obviously when COVID was starting to rear its head and tons of people were losing their jobs, one of my first thoughts was, okay, what's, what's my next step if my bubble pops? Um, and I suppose to tie this back to what you're asking, which is sort of like, what is the role of automotive media in the future? Is that more uh, what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, I or guess like just like if, let's say if um, what what you do as your vocation is not connected to um, how you make your living, like let's say your food and shelter, et cetera, is provided for you, what would you pursue as your vocation in an ideal situation? Uh, okay. Like how idyllic are we talking? Are we talking, um, <laughs> as, as much as you want to. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm, I feel free comfortable talking about the idyllic. Um, I would see myself continuing to do what I do probably, uh, with a slightly more narrow focus on the weird passion project stuff, you know, ideally while say traveling, traveling this continent and the many others out there um there are plenty parts there is like there is so much to automotive and transportational culture in general that is of immense interest to me that you know you can't experience in the united states like it'd be cool to go ride with the dajiban guys over in japan or um you know go and uh just drive the uh, the autobahn in the crappiest thing that you can get approved by the German TUV. I would so, see there. So, it, so you mean to so you mean to say that not only would you not sit at home and do nothing <laughs> if you were taking you would your work would probably get better. You would enjoy your life more, which would also therefore make your work even better. From there, is that is that what I'm getting here? I think that is. I think that is a yes. Um, and Fox News, hold on, because Fox News was saying that that's not the case. And I've been really curious about this. There's, um, <laughs> to engage with, uh, <laughs> with a very with not serious saying. person. <laughs> yeah, no, to engage with that, um, the Fox News, uh, the Fox News attitude towards whether, you know, towards people's motivations is that, you know, people need to be cajoled into it. Whereas, I mean, the fact is human beings develop emotional attachments to certain things from a very young age. And like people will actually go out of their way to try to make things of their own volition. Like we have seen this throughout history. Um, if you want good examples just like go look at everything from ancient cave art to the weird passion projects in any field you can imagine uh that are in no way commercializable i mean yeah i yeah, mean that makes I'm, a lot of sense to me that's ob obviously that's that's the answer is you know of course this stuff has always been around we don't need to force people like you have to work um i would keep i would keep working in fact I'd probably have multiple jobs. No, well, I wouldn't want to have, you know, not like working 40 hours or, you know, a million hours. I'm saying Tuesdays, I do this job. Wednesdays, I do that job. Thursdays, I take a day off and maybe Friday, I work at a different place. Uh, a little, little want, variety, you know. Do you want a really interesting piece of fiction that I made Bryant read? Um, I was just about to bring this up. A universe, yeah. something like this. <laughs> Why were you about to bring up what football will look like in the future? Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, I cannot possibly recommend a piece of fiction called Seventeen Seven Seventy Six, um, or <laughs> some, or how football will look in the future. Um, it sounds kind of like, huh? Um, it, it's it's also really hard to describe, but. It basically is trying to ask the question, what do humans do when there are no stakes because everything is taken care of? And it, it is imaginative science fiction, but it is, I think, also in a sort of very funny way, sort of vaguely realistic in that sense. But it's also told from a really unusual perspective. 
I don't want to give away too much because it's a bizarre conceit. I don't want to try to sell it on its premise because doing that kind of can spoil some of what's interesting about it. But uh, if you have three hours to read something really interesting, I would say that. All right. Yeah, definitely. I'll second that. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. I haven't read the sequel that you, that you were telling me about. That's about college football or something. Oh God. But uh, <laughs> you, you will love that because it's, you know, it, it's it's the same setting a little bit further down the road, slightly different scenario with the batshit turned up. At, the batshit turned up to 12 and sort of the historical weird, uh, there's just this web of historical context to it that's kind of incredible. Because like every, every little tidbit you go, wait, somebody had to either know about that before or research that and then stitch together all these completely unrelated things into a narrative that's somehow incredible. Yeah. Um, It's this hyper-associative kind of media that is like just made for people with ADHD. Yeah. And it was uh, was written by uh, John Boyce. Is that the guy's name, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And and if, if you're listening to this podcast, you might know him. He's he's been on Chapo Trap House a couple times. He collaborated with uh, Felix Biederman on a couple projects too, uh, writing about sports mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, absolute would recommend. Um, it's probably somewhere you want to take this next. I, I've just been rambling on for a bit, but no, it's fine. I I didn't. I mean, at least I didn't have any uh, agenda necessarily. <laughs> I think we've covered everything uh, that I had. Um, yeah, I think we. we I mean, I think we've covered wrap? it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is probably a pretty good place to leave it. All right. Well, uh, James, anything that you want to want to plug uh, while we're here, other than uh, your articles on the drive? Uh, well, other than my my column on the drive, please look me up. I would say, and aside from everything John Boyce has ever made, uh, oh, sorry, my just fell over i'm drawing a blank that's okay <laughs> well uh, we'll check out james on the drive um he's always writing about something interesting uh we'll hopefully have you on again so to talk about cars, <laughs> yeah which we forgot to get to <laughs> about what soviet rally cars oh no that i think we'll save that for another one hopefully right. if, if we can get you on yeah, again that'll be that. its own topic i'm sure yeah <laughs> I mean, honestly, the best version of those narratives are going to be the ones I wrote there because I don't have the kind of encyclopedic knowledge to to tell those verbally. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess, listeners, if you want a little preview of, of what we might be covering in the future, go check out uh, James's articles on Soviet rally cars. I think there was a, a Lada and a Moscovich or something. Yeah, the Lada Samara EVA and the Moscovich 2141KR. I think. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting stories for both of those. So, so that first one, did it make a, a lot of power? <laughs> uh, depends on, well, wait, just say, just say it made more than 400. No. It made more than 400, right? No. It made more than 400, right? No. It made, it made more than 400, right? It made 350. I'll take Close it. enough. It made, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, considering that was being made from a lot of, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, honestly, if you had said 50 horsepower, that would still be a lot of power. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think we've rambled on enough about Inconel and uh, Metallurgy and MR2s. And <laughs> this will probably be a two-parter. I mean, we've been yeah, going for Yeah, a I think so almost three hours. So, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for being on James. Thanks for being a good sport. And, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you on again. Cool. Thanks James. Thank All you. right. Thanks. Ace. I'm going to stop recording now. We don't make fight fire with fire bits. We make you fight fire with water bits. We're going to fight riches and not riches, but we're going to fight the solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight the socialism. Oh, <laughs> oh,
Amazingly, or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemispheres. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. The free market mythology, it argues that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation will produce the best results for all of us. Through something called the invisible hand. <laughs> what are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.